Yeah, because, I mean, you could be a, a world-class athlete and be a complete douchebag because you're so full of yourself. You can absolutely crush someone that trains five, six times a week as hard as possible. Oh, totally. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially if you are a colored belt and then a lower belt submits you when you're practicing something because you're like, I don't want them to think like they got the best of me. Yeah. I'm kind of, work- I'm yeah. Kind of working right now. I was feeding you a Kimura. Why yeah. didn't you take the Kimura? <laughs> Don't just leave them in the dark about them being uncomfortable to roll with or rolling hard and you don't know how to get get through it. How should we introduce this? Is it, welcome everyone to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast slash Forever White Belt. Yeah, <laughs> do that. <laughs> well, this is already going in, so how's it going today, Adolfo? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Travis, it's going great, man. It's always a pleasure to be with you and uh, have our great conversations, our fun conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my wife was like, so who are you interviewing today? I was like, no, I'm going to actually just have a conversation again with my buddy Adolfo. Just like, awesome. I was like, we were talking about collabing more, and I was like, I was like, might as well start doing it because uh, I'm not going to lie, man, I've been having having like a hard time finding motivation to to do the podcast it's like Same. just one of those seasons in my life right now where it's right. just there's so much going on yeah i'm like the easiest way for me to want to do it is probably to talk to a friend or yeah. you know or chit chat by myself for like 20 30 minutes but even then like it's like finding the motivation to do that and you know what jocko says is you shouldn't base your decisions off motivation it should be disciplines <laughs> <laughs> well it's like when you hit plateaus in jujitsu right you know change yeah. it up man yeah yeah exactly so uh, i'm very grateful that you decided that you know spend some time with me today you had an interview earlier so i know you've been sitting at the computer for a while now so uh, <laughs> hey man but, it's always fun but we so we we chatted a little bit beforehand and and we want to talk about you know things that have changed since we i had a actually had an episode similar to this with uh thomas Rzinski, mm. uh about how right. things have changed from white to black in, right. in your journey and uh but i kind of want to like give our perspective as you know mid-level grapplers in, in the art i mean i'm slightly below mid right now <laughs> ah, you're mid <laughs> uh but yeah so to start off things that have changed since starting jiu-jitsu that we we thought at the beginning and now we're like that was why my evolution man why did i ever think that yeah. and the the first one that i i have changed quite a bit and it's basically because my personal life has changed quite a bit is uh, I used to think I had to go hard every practice and I had to train as much as possible. Right. Yeah. So, and the best way I could think about this too, is when I first started doing CrossFit and competing in CrossFit, this was like 2014, mm-hmm. 2013, 2014. And back then it was like, if you're not absolutely crushed after every single workout, then did you actually work out, bro? You know what right. I mean? Like that yeah. was like my mindset going into jujitsu. When I first started, I was like, I have to train as much as possible, as hard as mm-hmm. possible to get as good as possible. And that's definitely not true, especially after speaking with so many people that are hobbyists. You can train two, three times a week and get really good at jujitsu. Absolutely. And uh, not train super duper hard and just be very focused and in, like have intent with your practice. And, you know, just making sure you're putting your energy in the right place. And you could you can absolutely crush someone that trains five, six times a week as hard as possible. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Has that yeah. has that been something similar to you? Absolutely. Because I'm one of those guys that has been training five to six times a week for the past couple of years straight, you know, and I've had to pivot now to scale back because mm. what I'm finding is just it's too much wear and tear on my body and and that too. But uh but yeah, early on, that was one of the points that, I, that I'd written down too, is just like, I thought you were supposed to just train hard all the time. And not only that, you were supposed to just 
you know, win. I had this thing like, mm-hmm. oh, there's an expectation. You you have to win every technique, drill, everything. Like I was a maniac like that, you know, thinking this is how you're going to get your blue belt is you just beat everyone all the time. You know, whether they're a child, a woman or a grown <laughs> man, it doesn't, an animal, it doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah. And then you realize too that, you know, you mentioned two to three times a week. I think that's like super important because what I also realize is that um, the importance of recovery and uh, strength training, you know, I just didn't really consider those things. I was of that camp of like the Marcelo Garcia camp where he was like, you don't need to do anything except jujitsu, you know, to get better and stronger jujitsu, do jujitsu. And to some extent that's true, but uh, not, you need, you know, I think these modern thinking, you know, we need to, we need to round ourselves out with that other stuff as well. Yeah, and, and I definitely didn't put very much emphasis on recovery when I first started too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was like, I was like, I would get done with practice, feel beat up, and I was in my mid to late twenties, right? So, uh, it, I'm in my mid thirties now. My birthday's next week, and so uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like now I'm much more like, okay, I got to drink lots of water after pra- before and after practice. I got to make sure I have my electrolytes, mm-hmm. and you know, my nutrition is on point because. If I yeah. don't do that, then I'm just going to get crushed in practice. And it doesn't matter how many times I show up in the week if my body's not, t- you know, if I'm not taking care of my body, that I could train every day of the week. And yeah. I'm not going to get any better because my body's not getting any better, you know. Yeah. And and that that was a big, like, switch in my perspective because when I had when I had to stop training, like you mentioned, you had to, like, life took over. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't train as much as I wanted to anymore. I was thinking, dude, now I'm going to suck at jujitsu so much worse than I already do. Right. right? (laughs) And it's like, how am I ever going to get promoted now that I can't train and be in front of my instructor's eyes as much as possible? Yeah. And uh, it honestly, that just makes your when you have that mindset. To me, it can make your journey so much worse also because you're stressed so much about missing training. Right. You know, and now I'm like, well. If I make it twice a week, that's a win. If I make it three times a week, that's a that's even better. You know, right. I, I get to go training. I, it's not anymore. I have to go training. You know, right. I, I I get to do this. I get to go and uh, snuggle cuddle with people. And like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, know, it was like um, when I was doing. You know, I finally realized it when I was. You know, like I said, I was going every day. Basically, I'm training every day, and then promotion day comes around, and I get that one stripe and awesome. And then I look over. And that person, and as much as I preach not to, you know, compare yourself against others, it's hard that person to. that goes like two to three times also got a stripe. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh. and so it, it did help put things into perspective in that point, you know, where like, and then when I let off, I'm, I'm more, you know, I'm more there for training next time and for rolling. I can do more stuff and going back to recovery too. It, that can mean a lot of different things. Like you were saying, you know, and I never put much, you know, importance on sleep as I do now, mm. you know, like it's so huge and other like things. Cause that can like the sauna and the hot tub for me is like, it's for me, you know, it, it works, but sleep was like something I never, you know, really, it really changed my mind is how important that is. How did, how did that, what's changed to make your, your sleep you realize is much more important now? Like, 
Did you talk to someone that was emphasizing the importance of sleep or just I think it was listening Yeah, I think it was listening to like sleep experts on different podcasts and things, but it was also just the results of it. You know, there's some things that you try and it's like you're not seeing any results of it, but when I put a importance on sleep, I'm like, wow, you know, the it was evident that there was a, you know, there was something a measurable thing happening, you know, like I feel better, I'm more present, I'm more athletic or whatever it may be, you know. Yeah, completely agree because when my kids were were young or younger you know newborn (laughs) it was uh it was like if i got two three hours of sleep the night before because i was up all night and i tried to go train even even later in the day yeah it was it still affected me you know and so and so now um i'm like dude if 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 i wake up in the morning or if i'm exhausted when it times to come training i'm like there's I, I I seriously double think about going to train because I'm like, what is it going to accomplish for me to go yeah. train today if I'm not there yeah. mentally, right? Yeah. If uh, if chances and, of know, injury, chances yeah. of injury, right? And so yeah. I talk, we talk about you know, all, never stop showing up to class and whatnot, and I think that's true within a certain degree. Yes, right. Like yes. Um, if my wife tells me I can't go to class, I don't think showing up to class one is going to be the smartest choice, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <clears throat> if like I'm exhausted and, uh, I can better recover for the next day of training that I have by staying home and maybe going to bed a little bit earlier that, that I would have been at training. I think that is much more valuable than going to training exhausted, feeling yeah. like I have an obligation to do it. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? Like yeah, we should 100%. never have to force ourselves to do something that's supposed to be fun. Right. I, I remember when I was like really hardcore into snowboarding and stuff too. That's always the example I notice is the only time I would get hurt or fall real bad was on my last run. You know what I mean? Mm. Down the hill for you people that ski or snowboard, whatever it may be. Like you're so exhausted, right? You get to the point. It's like, that's when things occur. So it's like, that's not when you, where you want to start, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's absolutely. when you're that tired. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so sleeping, sleep recovery, all that is much more important than making it to every single day as hard as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was so. also um, touching on that sort of like uh, training as hard as possible too was, um, you know, I thought that you were supposed to, well, I found myself playing my A game all the time, mm, right? That's a good point. Well, when you get to a point of whatever, if you get to a point of an A game or, you know, if you're a super beginner, maybe armbar is your thing or maybe a triangle is your thing. And then all you're doing is a triangle. All you're doing is, you know, your A game if you're sort of more advanced belt. And then you find yourself falling down the same funnel every time, the same funnel, you know, the same sequence every time. I mean, there's some value to that. But then I realized, you know, what I really changed my mind to was uh, the importance of obviously going down another path and and you're going to suck. And, and so it brings up the whole thing is the importance of losing, the importance of sucking, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, becoming a white belt every time, you know, again, you know. Baby, the season for Fresh Cut is finally here with the today's sponsor of the show, Manscaped. The leader in the below-waist grooming has launched their fifth-generation lawnmower to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with Manscaped and watch the South Pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all time by going to manscaped.com using code ETP20 for 20% off plus free shipping. Mrs. Claus would thank you. I've been using Manscaped products for, like I keep mentioning, 
years now, and I can't say enough good things about them. I love, love, love them. They have been a game changer for my grooming and has helped me build confidence on and off the mats, knowing that I don't have a random mat charm or mat snack sneaking around in other people's mouths or eyes or whatever it is, and I can't thank Manscaped enough for that. Whether it's the Lawnmower 5.0, the Weed Whacker 2.0, No Ear Hair Trimmer, the Boxers 2.0, or any other amazing products that Manscaped has. I promise you, any man in your life is going to be happy. Get 20% off and free shipping with code ETP20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using code ETP20. Say ho, ho, ho to a well-groomed mistletoe with Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring this episode. So Yeah, and I, I've, I had that perspective shift also and it happened it happens every once in a while it comes back around i'm like oh man i should definitely be losing more and one thing that uh kind of reiterated it to me was we had belt promotions the couple couple i mean it just had i think i talked to you like right after it happened Mm -hmm. and uh one of our guys is uh got his purple belt and one thing i noticed is when he's doing live rounds he's always putting himself in bad positions to mm-hmm. try to work out of it. And I was like, yeah. dang, dude, like I should, I should definitely be doing that more. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he gets submitted by the other blue belts and whatnot, but all the other blue belts that, you know, got promoted a purple belt also with him. Um, and so, uh, but he's like super good. Like, it's really hard to submit him. It's really hard to pass his guard because he's all, he was, he's always working on that, right. you know? And so me, um, I think I do it more because i want that sense of i'm still good at jujitsu when i do get to go train because my training is very limited right now you know what Mm, i mean so in my mind i'm like if i don't win a couple rounds tonight then i'm not making progress or i'm i'm digressing you know what i mean sure so i'm sitting there just trying to play my a game my a game my a Mm -hmm. game you know what i mean they're just trying to get submissions just trying to (laughs) win which there is some value to that you know sometimes Yeah, but I it, in my mind I'm like maybe maybe I should be focusing on what I'm not good at because I'm not going to be able to practice it as much as I want to. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh maybe when maybe one day a week I should just lose a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> work on yeah. things I don't normally work on and then one day a week or two days a week I should work on things where it's like I just got to keep honing the sword on, yeah. you know, my good stuff. Right. That uh, gets tricky at this uh, sort of midpoint or whatever it may be, you know, when you get a colored belt, um, uh, balancing that, you know, because you're so used to being a white belt where everything was new and everything, you know, what you did was terrible or whatever. Um, and now you get to a point where you're getting a little more proficient and then you're like, you know, you want to hone and sharpen that sword in terms of that proficiency. But at the same time, it's like, uh, we got to go back to, you know, that, that awfulness of, you know, early white belt smashing, you know, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, especially if you are a colored belt and then a lower belt submits you, uh, when you're practicing something, cause you're like, I don't want them to think like they got the best of me. Yeah. I'm kind of, work- I'm yeah. Kind of working right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we talked about this before. It's something I don't announce, but I've, you know, I used to refer to it. I don't th- I think incorrectly is allowing people to tap me, but I just had a conversation with Emil Fisher and he put it much more eloquently. He's like, no, you, you earned that. You earned that tap. Everyone who's ever tapped me earned that tap. I just, what I do is I put myself in, um, 
you know, situations where it's very tenuous, you know what I mean? It's basically super late stage, whatever it may be. So there's a very good chance that I'm going to lose or tap, you know, whatever it may be, because I'm working, you know, as you mentioned, in that very compromised state, you know? And I think that does the other person, gives the other person a little bit of credibility too, because if if you have it like that, instead of I was letting them work instead, like, no, they, they capitalized right on the situation. Sure. I think that gives them uh, a little bit more, not, I don't want to say authority, but like in your mind, you know, that they can, they can put you in these positions that you want to work in and you, you have to work out of. Yeah. It validates mean? what they were yeah, trying validate. to do. Whether yeah. it's like something like a, a, a late stage rear naked choke. Yeah. I can finish that. You know, when I, when I have it and I'm there, Hey, there's some, you know, there's some credit to that. Good for you. You know, you, you finally got that, you know, those finishing mechanics because maybe you wouldn't be able to get to that point with, you know, someone who's proficient or something like that. So this yeah. is what it feels like when you're there. So how have you implemented the losing more in your training then? Oh, I do it constantly. I think it's from being a smaller sort of older guy who wasn't particularly strong. So that's been ingrained in me since day one. You know what I mean? It's like I'm used to being on bottom. I'm used to getting smashed. And so for me, it was a matter of survival of learning how to survive, endure, and uh, get out of things and being, you know, escape late stage stuff too. Um so, yeah, for me, it was just like, it was like oxygen in a way. It was like, that's what I do. You know, whereas, you know, someone who's big or whatever, who's used to being on top and, you know, smashing in Kimura every time or whatever, it's like, you know, that could be a little tricky for them. Yeah, that's, that's definitely me, which is I, when I started to focus on the, the not so big guy friendly side of my game, it was me playing more of the bottom, letting people pass my guard, trying to wrestle up, letting them get in mount, letting them get my back. Things where my size doesn't necessarily have a advantage. You know what right, I mean? Like right. a big guy on the bottom isn't necessarily a good thing until uh, you can like wrestle up or use your size to your advantage. Um, right. So those were some things that I've worked on. And one thing that's hard too is when you are a higher belt and you want to lose and you're rolling with these white belts. Like the other day I was rolling with a white belt and I was feeding them a, a Kimura, like from half. I was like, all they have to do is just lock yeah. up a Kimura, yeah. push their hips out. And then they, and then I can work on this escape and kind of transition to the next thing, but they never saw it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then after the roll, yeah. I was like, I was feeding you a Kimura. Why yeah. didn't you take the Kimura? <laughs> 100 man. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so funny. That's sort of a universal experience, right? When, when you see uh, uh, someone who's like less, uh, you know, knowledgeable or whatever than you, and you're like, my, my that arm bar was right there for you. You know, why aren't you yeah. going to an S mount or you know this and that that kind of thing? I'm literally trying to get you to submit me right now. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, because I want to work on this particular escape or whatever, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, and and to 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 tie this all in, and kind of my next one is. Uh, I used to put so much emphasis on getting the color of my belt darker, mm. right? I, that was the whole point of training was just yeah. to get that belt darker and darker, right? Yeah. Um, and it, if you guys don't understand what I mean, I mean, it's like advanced, like, right? Because yeah. the higher you get is <laughs> darker the belt gets, yeah. right? So I was thinking, man, I just have to get to the next rank. I just have to get to the next rank. And I, you know, I wouldn't, 
roll in the mindset of progression all the time. I would mm-hmm. roll with the mindset of, like we mentioned earlier, right. I have to smash everyone. I have. How am I supposed to become a blue belt or a purple right. belt if I'm not smashing everyone that is the same or below me right. in, in rank? You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, after talking to so many people, realizing that, bro, the, the what is what does the belt color matter? Like, yeah. you can you yeah. can still progress. You could still get good at jujitsu. And that and my and after talking to Mike uh, Bidwell, the BJJ mm-hmm. over after forty, yeah, or over forty, uh, you know, he was a brown belt for thirteen years. Yeah, and that's amazing. Crazy, right? Yeah, and so. He kind of changed my perspective a little bit on belt colors because I kind of did a self-reflection on why do I say belts don't matter? Is it because I'm coming from the mindset of they don't matter? I can always get better at jujitsu. Like Mm -hmm. it's a thank you from my professor to show like, hey, my hard work is paying off. Or is it a self-defense mechanism for when I don't get promoted? It, I can tell myself, oh, well, it doesn't matter. The belt mm. doesn't matter. And mm. I think, honestly, for a little bit, I was switching over to the, it's more of a shield. It's more of a way to not get, you know, upset if I if I miss a, a promotion night or if it, I do come to a promotion night and I don't get a stripe or a belt or something like that. Um, and I need, a, I need to get that needle to go back towards, no, like I can still get good at jujitsu when it happens, it happens. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think what really, this is a huge one because there's so much to this belt thing, you know, is I used to think that the understanding of the belt was the same everywhere, universal that you went around the world, you know, in terms of jujitsu, I should say. And so I thought everyone was grading in the same way or considering things in the same way, but then you realize it's completely subjective, right? Every academy is completely different about this thing. And then uh, the more and more as you know, I went into it, I do value getting this acknowledgement and getting this belt. I greatly, I greatly value it. But um, I see it, I do, for me personally, I think it's more, the importance of it is, is a, uh, a validation from my instructor saying, Hey, you're progressing, you know, mm-hmm. you are progressing Agreed. or I see you as, as this particular thing. Now that could be, you know, from a different vantage point of depending on your professor in a lot of different ways. But for me, that was, that was the huge thing. But then even more so on top of that, the, just the explosion of uh, knowledge and data in terms of the jujitsu community as a whole and the hockey stick of performance of younger, e- even children, you know, and you're seeing how phenomenal they are. Um, it's sort of like AI, right? How there's been this hockey stick explosion in, ter- in terms of how it's affecting the workforce and things. I see the same sort of happening in jujitsu in terms of knowledge and things like that and instruction and execution and just the science of jujitsu in general. And uh, and so now it's like it blurs the line of the belt even more, you know, because uh, are you a black belt or are you even a brown belt? person but this kid is you know coming along at a super high level performing at a super high level at you know white belt or even blue belt way you know leagues above and they're beating colored belts above them you know depending if we're talking about teen or 20 something kids um so it, it the belt is becoming a very sort of like you know personalized sort of confusing thing even more so than i think than it was in the past yeah and 
when John and I traveled to Japan at the beginning of our journey, we both were like four stripe white belts at that time. Mm. And there was our class that was a free class. It was taught by a couple brown belts. And then there was a black belt. He was like a second or third degree black belt that would teach at the same time as it us. Mm. And <clears throat> he would promote people very fast mm. um, in my eyes because, you know, people would show up and uh, we would roll with some of them and we would watch them get promoted to blue belt. And I would roll with them as a white belt. I'm like, bro, like there's not even this sounds kind of messed up, but it wasn't even like hard. Yeah. rolling against them you know what i mean right right like totally. i was like there's like no in my head i was like there's no way you should be a blue belt this particular but that's, belt. yeah yeah and there in and, and that kind of is uh a terrible mindset to have too because it's not their fault you know what right. i mean like like i shouldn't be, have any animosity towards this person for getting their blue belt it's mm -hmm. not like they tied it around their own waist <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. like so what what is it and i shouldn't even care anyways right like <laughs> But, you know, very young in your journey, uh, you want that promotion. Like you mentioned, you yeah. want that validation that my skills are good and yeah. that I, I deserve this. And when you're like, and you, you don't see even other know. people get, yeah, yeah. You don't even and, know if, you know, early on, like, am I getting better? I don't know. You know, you're so confused. Yeah. I know someone that doesn't even get stripes. Like their school yeah. doesn't even yeah, do stripes. And uh, he's like, it's hard because I don't know where I'm at in my journey to my blue belt. You know, right. I have no idea how close I am because there's no, there's no like way to progress yeah, right. in, in the knowledge or the, the journey. It's just like, am I good? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, Some people just sort of surprise you with a belt too. It's like, there's yeah. no like a uh, roadmap, like a defined uh, curriculum. Some places don't even have that, you know, and, um, you just don't know where you are, you know? And then also there are other places that, uh, I didn't realize too, is that some people, well, like you said, maybe they, it feels like they're belted early, but they they're under that philosophy. Well, they'll they'll grow into they'll grow it, into it, right? So there's that, and then there are other places that are complete opposite. They're like these people are clearly blue belts, but we're keeping them at white, right? So some people see that as sandbagging. Other people say no, we just have high standards, you know. So you see where it's just all very sort of blurry and subjective, right? It's a and so like putting a lot of you know foundational meaning on a belt is it's it almost doesn't make sense it's almost illogical to do that in a way but yet we still have this importance of the belt looming above us in in jujitsu but i i still like it i like belts yeah i know you at you pro proposed the question a couple of times like should there be juvenile belts should there yeah. be adult yeah. belts should there be competition belts should they just remove belts yeah. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, all kind of stuff yeah and yeah. I, I think those are great questions because it's very it makes you th think what would the martial art be like if there was no no visual representation of skill outside yeah. of the the practitioner right you know right right and cuz there's other martial arts in wrestling you there's no belts in wrestling there's no ranks in wrestling a lot of muay thai has no ranks i know some muay thai places have started introducing ranks into their their gyms and whatnot boxing there's no but everyone knows who the baddest dude in the room is because they can perform right yeah. <laughs> I, I just think it's it's that would be such a business killer is the thing you know what i mean there's a reason you don't see wrestling academies on every corner there's Very a reason true. you don't see uh boxing academies on every corner like a muay thai academies on every corner and there's a reason you see taekwondo karate and jujitsu on every corner now you know what i mean and i think a lot of it has to do with the belt and the importance of that in we hate to say it 
but in business as an incentive, you know, for this customer to uh, come back day in and day out. I really do. And Stripes on top of that. I think Stripes were almost clearly created for that incentive to come back more, you know, too. Yeah. And if you look at kids' belts, they have so many belts yeah. because yeah. Th- it helps with them with the sense of progression and accomplishment, right? It's like they have, I don't even know, eight, nine belts before they even get to blue. (laughs) Yeah. It's perplexing now. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's definitely changed quite a bit for me. Now, uh, I, I think belts don't matter, but I think they do matter in a lot of contexts. I just don't think that I have as much emphasis on the importance of them and I should be okay with, um, sucking or not getting promoted uh because at the end of the day there's it's my journey when it comes it comes the other people are not me they don't have the life i live so it doesn't matter if anyone else gets promoted uh as i just have to keep showing up and training you know yeah we all we all run into our hiccups that's the thing too we all get injured we're sidelined or life gets in the way and, and stuff yeah there's always something to hold you back it's a trip absolutely so what's what's next one for you? Um, the other one that I think that I really changed my my mind on um, was how to roll with less experienced or smaller and weaker people. We kind of mm. touched on that, um, but uh, I used to think it was all kind of the same, and I wasn't sure how to like. No one ever taught me how to, for instance, roll with a smaller woman, let's say, or or you know, person of the whatever opposite gender, and. Um, I wasn't sure how, you know, is this appropriate? You know, how, you know, should I let them win every time, you know, and, and all this stuff. Cause it's such a, it seemed like this, this thing. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how to do that, but I changed my mind in that, you know, I shouldn't give them the win, you know, as we say, you know, every time. Um, but, uh, and I shouldn't be dropping my weight on them, you know, things like this, that we take it, uh, take for granted now that we know, or, or those of you that are listening that, that know how, how to do this or has done this quite a bit, you know, as I have, cause some of my favorite partners are female training partners. And, um, it, it took a while for me to sort of get it and to respect what they're, you know, aiming for too. Cause you know, they all have different perspectives as well, just like we all do. Um, so, so that was of, uh, you know, that, that was a difficult one for me to sort of like grasp, you know, just to get even a, a mindset on. Yeah. I don't get to train with too many female or female uh, <laughs> women or uh, people of the opposite sex, however you want to say it. And it, it's kind of sucks. Like I, I being over 200 pounds and relatively strong, I definitely know how rolling with uh smaller um, not as strong. I don't want to say weaker, but mm-hmm. uh, people that don't have the strength advantage that I do. Uh, that was a big, dip- that was a big eye opener too, because when I was a white belt, same thing. I was like, you mentioned, I was trying to smash, trying to like crush people. <laughs> I would use a lot of strength and I didn't know this, but a lot of my friends were, they didn't want to roll with me. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Right. When, when I was a white belt, they're like, yeah, dude, you were, you were always like a super tough role and not like, technical is like you would always use a lot of strength and go really hard and i'm like oh why didn't anyone tell me this (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like that that sucks you you don't want to be that guy and just subconsciously thinking everyone's uh good rolling with you and whatnot and when it comes to rolling with women you have to you have to think about that 
plus more because it's like I just talked to uh, Andrea uh, Baxson who did the documentary about female That's right. all the women in jiu-jitsu. That was a great episode, yeah. Yeah, and that her documentary is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh I see that. And one of the um one of the interviewees said like or and she said in our interview too, like if it wouldn't work on someone your size, don't do it on me. Right? Because mm-hmm. if if it's not going to work on someone your size, then you shouldn't have, you sh- it shouldn't work on me. Like you shouldn't have to force it on me mm. um, or use your strength on me. Uh, and it's more along the lines of like using strength force emissions or to, you know, muscle through something. It's like, mm. well, that's, that doesn't help either one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that, that was a, a big, big change in my mind too, is like, well, how can I make this role beneficial for both of us and i'll i often bring mm-hmm. up riley and how uh you know i've been training with her since she was like 12 years old mm-hmm. she just turned 18 and a lot of the times i could i could just lay my weight on her mm-hmm. and then you know muscle through everything but then neither one of us are going to get better because right. of it. right you know it's like so what's the point right you know yeah exactly yeah. And like, I remember, you know, with even smaller people, like smaller guys or whatever, it's like, uh, what's the point of me like doing a hard, you know, double leg on them or, or an arm drag where I'm just throwing their face into the mat and, and that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, it's sort of this finesse thing. You need the, to... the most important tool we have in jujitsu is our training partners, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if we don't have training partners, there is no jujitsu. There's no way to get good at jujitsu. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> unless 100%. you just keep going to fight people like yeah. in fight club you just walk down the street and you start just blast a double yeah. on so <laughs> yeah so i'm like how, how do we make this a win-win you know what i mean right yeah. yeah and i think i think if people start having i'm not saying that there's people out there that roll really hard or anything like that i don't necessarily ever really feel it anymore um if someone's really trying to go hard uh on a roll with me uh, but if they, if you do have, for you people at home, if you do have someone in your academy that you feel is doing this, then, um, maybe pull them to the side and be like, Hey bro, like, let's make this a win-win for both of us. Mm. They, you don't use all your weight or all your strength. And that way we could both work together and we could both grow together because yeah, uh, I read call. this actually on Reddit the other day. And this, uh, this chick said she was a uh, 110 pounds white belt rolling in class with like a 175 pound man mm-hmm. and she said he was just super rough Oof. laid all his weight on her like completely was she was uncomfortable halfway through not even halfway through the role she was just like extremely uncomfortable not only because of like the pressure and stuff like that but she's just was like what is this guy doing like i can't mm-hmm. i don't know what to do in this situation and I was thinking in my mind, oh, my God, has that ever happened to me? And I just didn't know because she talks about Mm -hmm. talking to the guy afterwards and he was completely oblivious to anything that just had happened in the role. So if you guys are going through this in your academy, you should honestly talk to your training partner, too. Don't just leave them in the dark about them being uncomfortable to roll with or rolling hard and you don't know how to get get through it. I, I would tell people, I'm like, hey, I'm people tell me I roll kind of hard. If there's a situation where I'm going too hard, I need you to stop me and let me know. So now in my mind, I have that as like a timestamp, right? Yeah. Like I know, okay, that's too rough for a lot right, of people. Right. 
You know what I mean? Because if I don't know, I don't know. As an outside observer, too, if you're a third party to it, you should probably take your the guy aside and say, hey, I saw you rolling with this particular person and, you know, I think you should probably go easier on this person. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if the contact uh, warrants it, you know, like your familiarity with the person when all these other things come into play there. Right. Yeah. Like if you're passing a small person's guard and you go to knee cut and knee them in the face or that you like <laughs> switch hips and land, put all their yeah. weight on their stomach. Like yeah. you could say something to trading partners, right? Like we're yeah. all, we're all teammates here. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Travis, uh, one other thing that changed my mind that I wanted to discuss too, I think was um, the instructor being the only source of your information. That's one thing that mm. sort of uh, changed. I changed my mind early on. It, my instructor is the most important, you know, obviously the, the prime, you know, influence on my jujitsu, but, um, and I emphasize, emphasize this every time you also need to take ownership at some point, you realize of your, of your own progression as well. And to take that input, but, but also consider other things. Have, have you experienced this as well? I, I, I mean, John and I, from the get go looked for outside sources just because our journey has been so different because of yeah. traveling oh, that's for work right. and whatnot. So yeah. I've always, and I've learned from so many different instructors. I, I never had the mindset of like, my instructor is the end all be all for knowledge. Hmm. Um, but now I actually don't look for a lot of outside knowledge hmm. when it comes to jujitsu, mainly because I've, I've had this mind this idea in my head of if I can't even get the stuff going that I'm learning in mm. class, mm -hmm. then how am I going to be able to benefit from me looking for stuff outside of class? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. to me, my professor is teaching me something that he thinks is beneficial. So he knows my jujitsu probably better than I do <laughs> like, yeah. from the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, and so if if he's teaching me something, I should probably put a little bit of more weight into what he's saying mm -hmm. and then just, you know, make it work for me in my context. Right. But if he's showing me something, it's probably because he puts a lot of value in it and um, could be beneficial to me. And not only that, but it's kind of going back to the belt thing. But if he sees me not working on things that he's showing me, then how likely is he going to be to promote me? He said, mm -hmm. well, you don't do anything that we do in class. Like you have all these holes in your game because you're not practicing what I'm showing or, you know what I mean? So because yeah. he, honestly, he's, he's the, the arbiter of my progression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but well, like you weren't getting value when you and John were looking for like external sources and things like that. Oh, 100% were. No, no, mm -hmm. I'm not. And I'm not, that's not saying that I didn't have like, I loved like Roy Dean Academy online, YouTube, right. Instagram. I mean, we did instructionals. And there was a, a lot of value in it. And I think it was only because at that time uh, we were traveling. So we didn't have, you know, uh, regular okay. instructors. So we were learning from so many different people at the time. Then right. shortly after we got back from Japan, you know, uh, the pandemic happened. So then yeah. we had to switch our whole mindset of jujitsu for the pandemic. Uh, but I'm just saying now as, as, you know, someone looking at myself, I'm like, I don't, it's just, I don't feel the benefit um, from watching instructionals that are on techniques. Now, yeah. if it's like theoretical stuff, mm. like Jordan Pressinger's uh, theory course, where it's things that I can think about to prevent, you know, like not letting someone grab my head, long and short frames, 
inside position, right? Like these are things that no matter what I'm learning in class, I can benefit from using them, yeah. right? It's instead of me watching a butterfly to, uh, instructional and then trying to work it in into class uh, and that might or might not help. Right. Instead, I'm more along the lines of theories or, you know, like the more conceptual things in jujitsu that are universal in yes. my eyes. Yeah, so. totally, man. And if you guys want Jordan's theory course, there's going to be a link down in the description below. <laughs> but that, that's the, what I find value in it right now. And as someone that's, you know, was trying to become a little bit more of a coach in the gym before I had to switch, switch work uh, schedules, I was definitely getting more into the why we do things. Yeah. Because uh, kind of pulling into mine, not to take stop yours, but the, my next one is going to be the, you know, I used to think theories were too complicated for new practitioners they mm. would never understand the why we do something they could, right. if they don't even know how we do something right. now i definitely think people gain a lot of knowledge especially at the beginning on the why yeah. if it's simple if we can make it a simple why yeah we don't want to overcomplicate it Jingle all the way, are you dreaming of a gluten-free, protein-packed Christmas snack? Look no further than Kudo, the official protein sponsor of the UFC. This holiday season, unwrap the joy of Kudo's popcorn revolutionary cooking method, bringing you 10 grams of whey protein isolate in every festive bag. It's not just a snack, it's a trick Christmas miracle. Join the snacking sleigh ride that MMA athletes Michael Chandler, Robbie Lawler, Bruce Buffer, and Eva Santa favorite Dana White endorse. And guess what? Santa's Elves have a special treat just for you. Use code elbows tight at kudosnacks.com and enjoy a merry 25% off your entire order. Ho, ho, ho. Holy protein goodness. Indulge in the magic of kudos garlic, parmesan, white cheddar, and salty sweet kettle corn flavors. It's the gift of healthy snacking that tastes as delightful as Christmas morning. Whether you're hitting the gym, taking a snowy hike, or just spreading holiday cheer, Kudo Popcorn is your go-to companion. Taste the magic this holiday season with Kudo's Popcorn. For a limited time, our listeners get an exclusive 25% off their jolly order with the code ELBOWSTIGHT at kudosnacks.com or clicking the link below. That's 25% off with code ELBOWSTIGHT at K-U-D-O snacks.com save some jingle support the official protein popcorn of the ufc and get popped thank you kudo for sponsoring this episode yeah i think some some people do yeah because in the beginning i remember hearing uh the island top team guys always talking about base posture and structure right and i was always trying to understand that as a white belt like i'm like and it was confusing to me because here I am, I'm just trying to learn a triangle or you know an arm bar or what clothes guard even how how does that work, you know? And then thinking about base posture and structure to me was like a tough thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna focus on base now, you know, and and then I'm just getting tossed all over the place or whatever and <laughs> and all the stuff. I'm like, geez, this conceptual stuff is just not working, you know what I mean? For me personally, I found that it perhaps it was too it wasn't as simple enough or something like that or maybe it was for others or i was too dumb or i just uh i went about it more the other way in that uh t specific technique or specific uh training spoke much more to me early on than than concepts big concepts you know yeah and i i agree that was the same way with me as i I didn't really put much value on the conceptual side of jujitsu. And I think that's such a buzzword right now. In, yeah. In jujitsu. That can be a lot of different things. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? But um, the way I see like the theoretical or the conceptual side of jujitsu is 
things like in the ecological approach called invariance, things that have to happen every single time in order for a technique or submission or whatever mm -hmm. outcome you want, they, ha these things have to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think looking at jujitsu in that way has been great because what do you need in order to strangle someone? You need to cut off blood from both sides of mm -hmm. the neck, right? Like, cause mm -hmm. you could, you could punch someone or put your fist in someone's one side of the carotid and nothing's going to happen. Right. But it, mm -hmm. once you start locking off the, I mean, it's going to be a lot slower. If it, <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> but if you do both sides, then it's a much more efficient, uh, submission. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So these, these ideas of, or if you want to do an arm bar, you have to extend the arm, right? Like this, these things have to happen. And so I think putting, putting emphasis on the things that have to happen in order for these submissions or positions or passes to work. Um, once again, I'm going to segue this to, it has to be simple. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't go into a John Danaher explanation to a oh, fundamentals totally. class. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think a lot of um, people that are instructors in jujitsu coming from a coaching background, once again, a lot of people want to sound smarter than they need to or actually are when it comes to explaining some of these or things. Like, or some people are receptive to that. They just are. Some people love that additional detail. I am not that person, man. You know, we Me talked either. about that before. Like, um, I need to see it and I need to do it. You know, that's the way I, that's the way I learn. And I got to do it over and over and over and over again. So yeah, if you give me some long, you know, verbose <laughs> rant about, well, you know, that's a, you know, I should say a long verbose explanation of like a particular technique, it's going to go one, you know, through one ear and out the other for me. I'm just not going to yeah. get it. I would, I would much rather in the middle of teaching something, you say, remember guys, if you are doing X, Y, and Z, remember this. If you, if there's one thing that you take away from this class, remember this one yeah. thing. And yeah. I think that is much more powerful than a 15 step technique that you're trying to teach new beginners or uh, younger practitioners or newer practitioners. You know what I mean? I think there's, a, you could have a lot more value. And if you guys disagree with me at home, please, by all means, flame me in the comments. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think there's a lot more value in, you know, making the ideas as simple as possible rather than, uh, you know, a technique that is multiple steps. Right. You know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. I know to your point too, I know when I have like a 15, 16, Cody just did it the other day where I was, I was lost in the weeds, Yeah, bro. I could, I, <laughs> I couldn't see the trees in the forest. I was like, yeah. what is going, if that's the same, <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? Like, yeah. there's just, I'm lost. Yeah. What is it, three, two, one clap. It, I, <laughs> anyone yeah. anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah my coaches are at the point they can look over at me and they know when i'm oh he's off like looking at the squirrels now you know what i mean yeah i have adhd so you gotta you <laughs> yeah. gotta make it short and sweet it's not... <laughs> so totally. what's the next one for you well with sort of touching along the line of teaching you know um i used to think what what changed my mind big time i used to think you had to be a really fantastic uh, amazing competitor to be a great teacher and instructor That's i thought that brought up the level because i thought you know oh all those gold medals and all that stuff and the big name you're going to be a fantastic instructional and uh you know having attended these globe trotters where there's these relative unknown or you know coaches compared to someone like a uh, gordon ryan or or whatever it may be although he's a fantastic coach too um they they have so much to offer so really it's mm -hmm. sort of the reps of teaching i think just like training in jujitsu 
if your emphasis is primarily on teaching, I found that you are a, you become a better teacher, you know, period. And if your emphasis is on competing, then you become a better competitor, period. You know, and um, the two sometimes don't interact, you know what I mean? So well. Yeah. And I look, I've never had that mindset of you have to be a high level competitor in order mm. to be a high level coach. Mm. Uh, once again, because my background from like CrossFit and weightlifting, a lot of Olympic coaches were never Olympians. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. they, they can, they can. Give, or NFL coaches. Yeah. NFL coaches. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, the coach from the Patriots, what's his name? Uh, Bill Belichick. Belichick. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches ever. And he w- played college football for like, what, a year and got injured and then became a coach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he performed at a very high level, mm-hmm. but he wasn't like an NFL superstar yeah. and then became a coach afterwards. Sure. So I think if you look outside of jujitsu, just about every other sport, yes, high level competitors can become high level coaches, but just because you won gold medals, doesn't mean you, you can win gold medals in coaching or explaining something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's two totally different skills. Now I think like you mentioned, I think if you have the reps of coaching and mm-hmm. competing, there's, there's not going to be any, anyone out there that's going to now, maybe not because John Danaher, once again, he doesn't have a lot of accolades or I don't even think he has no. really any. Right. Yeah. I always refer to him as the guy that. Yeah. When everyone's like, yeah, you got to have all these gold medals. I'm like, oh, yeah, look at look at John Danaher. I'm like, nope. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, he, he doesn't he doesn't have really any accolades. So um, now if you're looking to to say the other side, if you're looking for someone because you want to be a high level competitor that can teach you how to be a high level competitor or the ins and outs of it, then there is a lot of value in that. Now, if you're just looking for someone to teach you jujitsu, um, then just look for someone that can teach you jujitsu. That's good at teaching jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Go you know, figure, right? Yeah. You yeah. don't have to, you don't have to go to the X time world champion gym just because he's an X time world champion. You might walk in the class and be like, what is going on in here? <laughs> Yeah, man. Do do your coaches have uh, any acc- like competition yeah. wins or yeah. medals yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, they do. Especially um, my head coach. Yeah, but um, he's got quite a few. But the others don't have as much, you know, as much. And they're fantastic coaches. That's the thing too. It's like, um, yeah, I just don't see the correlation all the time of like, uh, you know, medals versus the effectiveness of teaching or explaining how to teach or being articulate or, you know, understanding someone, you know, period, or empathizing with different people, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, you could be a, a world-class athlete and be a complete douchebag because you're so full of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Or you got the single point of focus, man. You're like yeah. Jordan, right? All you yeah. care about is working hard, you know, or COVID, yeah. you know what I mean? Not, not necessarily explaining how to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's funny too. Um, because t- one of the things that's changed for me when it came to uh, like coaching was uh, I used to think like, how, how do I say this without sounding like a dickhead? But just because your coach says it's one way doesn't mean it has to be done that right. way. There's yeah. so many things like I used to I used to put so much stress on myself of this is how my coach showed it. This mm-hmm. is the way I have to do it. It doesn't totally. if, 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 if it's not working for me, it's because I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily true. 
Right. Right. Sometimes your body just doesn't move a certain way or you just it's easier for you to do it this way or that way. Um, just because you can't do it exactly like how your coach is showing you doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Like right. we're our everyone's anatomy is different. Like right. what works for you to accomplish the goal, the ultimate goal of what the move is. You know what I mean? Yeah. In our uh, previous episode, though, we spoke with each other. One of the things that I brought up is that we both speak with so many like fantastic high level competitors and, and black belts too, and they constantly contradict each other. And yeah. it's not that they're wrong. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just a different way of approaching it. So when I hear uh, an instructor or someone say, never, never do this or always do this or, you know, these type of things, it's always kind of a little bit of a red flag in the back of my head because I, I get the intention, but it may work for someone else and maybe just not particularly for you for a various you know, amount of reasons. Yeah. I just listened to Jordan on his most recent podcast and um, they did a, like a Reddit, uh, they talked about like a, a Reddit post that was, what are some theories that changed your, your mind in jujitsu? And one of them was like, uh, always fight for the underhook. And they were basically like, that's not true. Like mm-hmm. you don't always want the underhook. Sometimes you want the overhook. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, having the overhook. They're like, I mean, it's, it's a nice way to think about in order to have something to work on, but that's not necessarily true. There's, there's very few things that are hundred percent true every single time in every single situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <man. clears throat> you know, like don't ever let people grab your head. If they grab your head, you're dead. Right. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's, that's uh, one thing that, has has been a big eye opener for me is uh, and I think it's because of the podcast too because we get to talk to some brilliant minds yeah, within totally. within this the art and when you talk to one person one week and then you talk to the next person the next week and you're like wait which one is true right? <laughs> exactly it's like which whichever one works for you is the one exactly. that's true yeah. it's like they take them both you know yeah. um and you could use them both and they can both be extremely valuable to you if within the right context. My, one of my favorite sayings is the right move is wrong at the wrong time. Mm. Right. Like yeah. it doesn't, it could be the that's right great. move, but at the wrong time, it's the wrong move. Yeah. Right. And it's the same, it's the same thing with whether who's coaching you or uh, everything within jujitsu. If, if it's not the right time to do it, or it's not the right time to, you know, have this mindset or whatever, then it's just wrong. It's okay. Yeah. It's just wait for the right time. <laughs> yeah, you exactly, know? man. So you got any more Adolfo? Let's see. Um, I did have another one that I really want to talk about. Um, Perfect. Let's do it. Uh, some people prefer, you know, I used to think that, well, I think what changed my mind and I realized is that, and I found really interesting is that some people, some students prefer the firm hand and some prefer the soft hand. You know what I mean? I didn't realize there was this dichotomy there where that some people are like, coach, I need you to be harder on me. You know oh, what I mean? I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm this type. And I was like, whoa, I'm not that type of person. I'm the one who's like, oh, you need to ease me into this because everything scares me here. You know what I mean? That's how I came about it. Um, and I remember talking with you too and uh, John too early on about how when you guys first started jujitsu, you guys were just getting smashed and you're like, dude, we need to learn this. This works. Whereas me, I'm like, you know, I get smashed. And I'm like, dude, this is not for me. I need to get <laughs> out of here. You know what I mean? So that's that. I think that was something that I changed my mind about. I didn't realize that there were these two very different perspectives. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I definitely have always been more of the 
more firmer hand, I guess you could say. Like I, I don't. I've always enjoyed hard rolls. I've always enjoyed getting smashed. Uh, you know, I've always maybe it's the the veteran in me right from the military it's yeah. like i that's just what i'm comfortable with you right. know like people being militant when it yeah. comes to class it's funny uh, because I, I always bring up this saying when i'm talking to you about this thing too is um uh there's a saying brian Callen, this comedian said it's super funny it's and i always repeat it to the to the tougher guys in, in my academy i said you know some of us are built for war and some of us are built for dance you know what i mean so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean <laughs> Hey, but it's, it, that's not, not, not nothing's wrong with that. No. <laughs> I'm a finesse man, dude. Yeah, you know, I'm a finesse man. <laughs> yeah, and so even when it comes to like my instructors, I definitely, I, I, I don't know. That's might be a little different because I don't want to get treated like, you know, jujitsu in the '90s. Of yeah, you know, I mean, there's I levels to this. Black belts yeah. and no, no talking on the mat. Yeah, or no, no, you no, show no. up late, you get beat. You no. know, I don't, I don't like that stuff because no. I'm paying for a service at the end yeah, of the day. And like you're I'm an paying, adult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, if it's my son and he shows up late to class by <laughs> yeah. all means, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to like, and I, I honestly have a, when I'm rolling, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I have this mindset of if I get a submission, a lot of the times if if it's with a higher belt, I'm like, did I, I have all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm firm, firm, firm when I'm in the role. And then I get to a submission where I could finish it. And then I back off and I'm like, mm. I, am I, I just psych myself out, you know? And I'm yeah. like, maybe, maybe I should stop doing that. <laughs> like, cause I'm, I'm going to get to these positions and I'm always letting go or I'm always backing out or whatever it is, instead of sticking through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. All right, Well, this was a, a great conversation. <laughs> Yeah, man, that was a lot of fun again. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely got to keep doing this. Um, maybe once a month, once every other month, or something like that. Sounds good. Uh, maybe once a week. No. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I'll see so, you every day. If if people want to follow you once again, where you're at, where, where where can everyone reach at? Yeah, check me out at uh, just Google Forever White Belt or go to IG Forever White Belt Show is us. And uh, yeah, we're available everywhere. Perfect. Elbows tight. If you guys are listening to this on Adolfo's feed, elbows tight everywhere. When you think about elbows tight in class, think about my ugly face and then, you know, you can't forget it. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home and uh, we'll catch you later. Remember, no oil checks here. Peace.